keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. Uh, your continued support allows us to continue to make great content and offer even better features in the future. Help us keep the lights on in the studio by pledging one to ten dollars a month. Go to patreon.com slash Rainman Digital to pledge. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a medical droid to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome everyone to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. This is the Bad Batch edition, and as usual, I'm your host, Michael, and I'm in the studio with David and Lauren. Hello. How's it going? Hello. All right, so today we have quite the episode to discuss and break down, and that is episode 15, titled Return to Camino, part one of a two-part finale. The episode was directed by... Baloney protege Brad Rao and written by another protege, Matt Miknovich. Well, this was a sad episode with an unexpected twist with some serious, heavy implications. Yes. I was expecting some broad strokes, to be perfectly honest, because you're dealing with Star Wars and our minds as fans always go to the bigger story for the most part. Yeah. So I was expecting broad strokes and we did get some of those broad strokes, some big connection to the bigger Star Wars story. But outside of but outside of some illusions, the team of writers focused on a more nuanced and personal approach to a finale episode. Well, especially since it's a part one, you—that's what boggled my mind by the end of this episode. Was this is only part one? Yeah, part two is like <laughs> you get a part two of this after this episode, which I'm trying to figure out. Okay, for what they were trying to tell in this episode, yeah, what more can they possibly tell us in part two? At this point, Dave, anything because I thought the same thing. I'm like, shit. This felt like the finale right here. Yeah. What can they possibly do except even except possibly get even more nuance? Because I feel like from the Imperial side, we may get a little bit. But for the most part, the focus is probably going to be on what Crosshair said in this episode. And I feel like that nuanced approach, despite being, you know, having a bit of that Star Wars baby mentality where I want those broad strokes. I feel like this nuanced personal approach, it worked. There were some strong notes of Shakespearean tragedy interwoven that just left you gutted. It really felt like the same type of drama was uh, being played with is the same feeling I got in, say, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. In the very end, the the final dialogue between Obi-Wan and Anakin, that kind of emotion. Yeah, that kind of emotion was there between Hunter and Crosshair. And the weirdest part by far was I honestly felt that this was one of the most natural feeling like 
epic moments. It was organic. It was very organic. Everything's been leading to this. Yeah. Especially when, especially when, if you've watched this from beginning to end, you kind of, by the end of it, you understand Crosshair's side. You absolutely do. Because like, it's. I mean, does it justify shooting people in the head and murdering innocents? No. No. But you <laughs> shooting can your under- own squad. However, you can understand. I mean, he is a soldier. He's possibly misguided. He has a loss of purpose. He was programmed with purpose and now does not have purpose. Not so have what purpose. do you do? So you're absolutely right, David. It doesn't justify his actions. But it, uh, it makes you understand him more. Though. Exactly. There was a moment where um, where he's he's talking to Hunter and Hunter is just like, you know, I, I didn't have a choice about leaving him behind. And he just says, like I did. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's rough. yep. That's exactly what I was talking about when I said gutted. Yeah. He feels so betrayed. Yeah. Well, especially especially when he further on takes it to the point where he says, like, you're going to ha- uh, you're going to have to trust me. And like, I trusted you. And all of a sudden, I'm like, like, oh, this is really gutting when, when you think about it. It's not it is more now to the point where it is more. It's less about having the chip, but it's more about actually being part of that unit of clone force 99 for loyalty loyalty yeah for for crosshair to to his brothers yeah yeah i mean the centralized aspect of this episode was the reunion between the bad batch and crosshair it's something that we we saw coming you know we knew this is what they were going to be doing and to find out you know as lauren mentioned that he felt like he was betrayed was way more emotionally taxing than i thought any reveal would be at this point which is one which is once again a testament to the writer's ability to immerse the viewers within the story in just a matter of a few short weeks. We care. We care about these characters. We don't want anything bad to happen to them. And I was talking to David about this off air. I love the Clone Wars, but in my opinion, it took two or three seasons for me to fully be immersed emotionally with the characters. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Easily. And I wasn't, I love Ahsoka specifically as a character now. I think she's one of the strongest characters to come out of all of this subsequent media Mm -hmm. from Star Wars. But absolutely, it took me a while to fully warm up to her and then grow attached to her. Yeah, Uh, Clone Wars for sure is like a slower burn where you like slowly get more and more invested. But Bad Batch has had me since the beginning. I mean, I liked the characters when they were introduced in the clone wars you know that that brief intro to them i was like oh these guys are cool yeah i'd watch a show about them but i mean right from the first episode i was like no i will die for them i love them they must be protected <laughs> but it, and that's a testament to feloni feloni and his crew because well they've, think about it they've grown as writers they've grown we're, as writers over the last what 15 16 years we've witnessed them just get better and better and better as yeah. as a team of writers. And and think about that. Not only Clone Wars, but also seeing them go through the growing pains of like um uh, Rebels. 
I mean, you take Clone Wars, you take that whole writing staff from Clone Wars to Rebels to Clone Wars, the final season, even, you know, as much as we want to bash it and kill it, Mike, I am sure the writing staff from that team learned a lesson from resistance. Yeah, I'm sure. And they were like going, okay, this is why it got (laughs) shuttled off. Yeah. We have to stop. We can't do that. Well, Jennifer Corbett, the showrunner of this series, was one of the main writers on Resistance, on Resistance, which blows my mind, which goes right down to leadership and how important leadership is because she was probably looking at Justin Ridge like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> Especially when you see how competent she is as a showrunner. Yeah. And she was working under Justin Ridge, who obviously couldn't fucking hack it. She learned from the best, and apparently she learned from the worst. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's that's so fucking true. Oh, man. But yeah, it's not just the writing, which we're going we're gonna to circle back to Cross here in a second, but even the music that was composed hitting the cues at the appropriate times, like when Crosshair reunited momentarily with the bad batch to fight off the droids and the oh, music dude, that was hits cool. you can't help but get star wars nerd chills you're like yes this is really good this is star wars it reminded me of the death star scene and new hope when han solo comes in and saves a day and you you get all excited with him when he you know does his little holler and tells luke to you know blow this thing and let's get home that's the exact feeling i had when the music hit and crosshair joined them momentarily fighting against those droids yeah because like it's, it's very cinematic it's very cinematic and you can't help but get swept up in it mm-hmm. especially when that theme starts playing and it's like you even still get emotional hits when you know like hunter's destroying a droid and then suddenly a blaster fire kills a droid that's about to attack hunter and they cut right to crosshair covering hunter's back and it's they did it like twice, and every single time the music beats hit it perfectly, but like it would stop for a moment and then kick back up. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, Filoni and Corbett, they know how to use those filmic conventions at the right times. They're using everything in that toolbox to make sure that this show just comes off as as fantastic as it is. They truly want to immerse the audience in those Star Wars feels and without without and this is the key word here without relying on nostalgia which is a problem in today's world of movies and TV shows and streaming services that continue stories uh, especially with Star Wars uh, people fall victim writers fall victim directors fall victim to nostalgia because they remember Star Wars and listen understandably so we've all most people at this point, we've all grown up with Star Wars. So there's always going to be those nostalgia bugs that we we cling to. But sometimes I feel like some of these directors and writers, they rely too much on those nostalgia beats. And here is a perfect example of a show that uses the cinematic experience to create a whole new feeling. That maybe someday one of those writers will then use this nostalgia to guide their movie to guide their movie but the thing is is that this is all original this is all unique while also staying true to the star wars genre which as we've said in numerous shows at this point star wars is its own genre oh easily yes all right so crosshair story is tragic let's break this down a bit more lauren you mentioned 
you know, Hunter saying that they left Crosshair behind because they had no choice. He tried to kill them. Crosshair says, and I did. And suddenly they throw out the rules of morality. They throw it right out the window and we are left to question every action the Bad Batch has made since abandoning Crosshair. Because as an objective viewer, we can understand where he's coming from. Regardless of inhibitor chip, from his point of view, they abandoned their purpose and him. This entire scenario now fits into that common thematic aspect within Star Wars from a certain point of view. Crosshair is doing what he has made, what he was made to do. And that his argument, and that is actually one of the most philosophical things we've, we've ever been given in Star Wars, it veers into the muddy areas of philo- philosophical debate, determinism versus free will. Does a clone even have free will if they are created for a purpose like, say, an AI, which for the purpose of argument, let's say, is algorithmic and not free will? Can a clone have a type of algorithmic programming that he cannot break free from? In this case, Crosshair no longer has his chip, but is still following his programming. Yeah. And the clones that have broken from their deterministic paths are anomalies. They're truly special. I mean, there's a lot going on that a lot of the blogs are just glossing over and they're not really digging deep into what's being done here. And if this was any other writer or writing team, I would just say, eh, it's just they're just kind of going through the beats. But we know Filoni's a thinker. This is something that Filoni played with in Clone Wars, but he never quite made a definitive statement continually. He had a few episodes here and there, and I believe we mentioned one during our last discussion uh, about clones being a part of the force, just like all life, that they are one with the force because they're living beings. And it was an on again, off again theme within Clone Wars over its seven years about the clones and their purpose and whether or not they uh, have free will. Do they have souls? There was lots of messaging within the writing, within the subtext. But with Clone Wars, Filoni never really went there. And it feels like Corbett, like fully went there. And I feel like Corbett taking those, those tidbits from Clone Wars, knowing that this is the end of the road for clones, that this is the show that's going to wrap it up. We're seeing officially the end of an era. This is the end of the Clone Wars yes. officially. And knowing that this is the end and this has to be the bookend, they're going to close the door on those questions. And that's why I feel like we're getting those scenes. And instead of doing the broad strokes like we were talking about uh, that we're used to with Star Wars, the bigger story, we're getting something more nuanced because they're posing those philosophical questions because this is it. They want to make sure that we understand the purpose and the role of the clones moving forward. Yeah, especially the choice of actually making Kamino. This is the, the destruction of Kamino. Yeah. Where it all started, all the clones, they were born there. A lot of the stuff from Clone War, the Clone War series was centralized on Kamino. And it was the training site for a lot of the, the, the troopers, Rex, Cody, Echo, all of them got introduced to us through Kamino. 
So in a lot of ways, seeing Camino destroyed, it is the perfect bookend, like what you said. I mean, we got the introduction to it since what? Attack of the Clones? Yeah, it's done. This it's is gone. It. This is it. And if they don't tackle those questions and that they've been posing since Clone Wars, when are they? where else are they going to be able to do it? This, this is the show. And the genius thing, too, is like they, they not only bookended the, the storyline of the prequels and everything, but they also connected it to the newer store, the, the new era, the new era of star Wars, the, the quote unquote, you know, new hope era, you know, you have the connection of Palpatine's plans of clone, the getting the cloning technology. Obviously that's connected to newer series in the, in the saga, such as the Mandalorian. And then of course, in rise of Skywalker, all that stuff is tied together. And now in this one episode, you have this linchpin from the Bad Batch that connects pretty much the whole saga together in a nice little timeline. Yeah. There's a handoff there for sure. You know, passing of the baton. It's not a good baton, but, (laughs) you know, but but honestly, you go from one moral question to the next because you have the the more the 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 questions you can pose about pertaining to the morality of making clones and then using them for war and then abandoning them destroying them essentially and then you now are handing that off to the the idea of conscripted soldiers which then takes us also into the sequel trilogy which i thought was going to be such a bigger point and i thought it was such a good aspect could have been with how uh what's his name Finn. Fucking Finn. Yes. I don't even know these characters. <laughs> wow. Uh, very aggressive. Um, when, when they had mentioned that Finn was taken as a child. And I mean, that's awesome. So there are continuing variations of these, these aspects of morality and changing it just a bit. I mean, and all of it has a deeper meaning when it comes to, I mean, oh, I don't have to tell people that much of the empire is modeled after Nazi yes, Nazi propaganda yep. and eugenics. We all know about what they tried to do, making mm-hmm. the perfect soldiers, you know, brainwashing, mind control. These are all things that are being used throughout Star Wars. It doesn't matter which era you're talking about. But bringing it back to Crosshair again, I have a feeling that he's in some type of existential crisis. I mean, who, what, why? I mean, what is the point of any of this? I I think there's a lot to be said and explored with Crosshair because he, it's, it seems like, from my perspective anyway, it seems like when he was shooting at uh, his brothers and he was trying to kill them, it's likely that that was something that was done kind of with the chip really kind of telling him to do that. And then he had his chip removed after. I don't know. Maybe that's not the case. But um, because we don't have any clarity there. But the the moment that he tells Hunter, like, does it matter when my chip was removed? I became an enemy to you in that moment. And you didn't even try to come back for me. Like, does it even matter when my chip was was removed? Because would it have made a difference if if I felt like I was doing what I needed to do and yeah you shouldn't have tried to kill him but like now it just seems so much more nuanced and so much deeper than just 
oh, he's doing bad stuff. It seems like he's really conflicted yeah. about everything. He's clearly trying. He clearly thinks that he's doing what's best for him and them by trying to get them to join. Because he doesn't want them to be on the losing side and die. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. That's a good interpretation because I was on the same track because, I mean, th- think about, and just to add on to that, Lauren, think about, I mean, he's witnessing them saving Gregor, Gregor, you know, and yeah, doing what they can to save Omega. And here he is. He was. What about me, guys? You didn't even try to fucking save me. <laughs> You know, yeah. so a lot of this is going to come back. I have a feeling that that's actually going to be a talking point. That's got to be a talking point in the in the final episode. Well, especially in the one, I think looking back at the series, I think the brilliance of this story arc of Crosshair, it all comes down to that one episode where he gets almost mortally injured. You know, when they turn on the turn on the uh, turn on the engines and he goes flying and nearly they vaporize his skin off. He's so fucked. And he's he basically it gives a lot of credence now when you think about that ending where he's looking at them while he's all bandaged up. Yeah. And he's like going, what the hell? You just you nearly killed me. It's very complicated and it's not. It's very realist i hate using that word but uh it's very natural when you compare it to real world and that's organic it's very you know like you can relate to it well that's something that we have always said about feloni's stories you know in rebels even in the shitty resistance there was that attention to hey not everything is absolute not everything is hey this is it this is how it is i mean they explored that in rebels with uh agent callus and how, hey, sometimes you join a side because you're just born across an imaginary line that says this is this is the side you're on. Yes. Uh, and same thing with resistance and viewing the Empire as not the enemy because in their point of view, the Empire is what gave them food, gave them money, gave them a home to live in. And here we are again in a more nuanced version of that with Crosshair and the Bad Batch, each having... Uh, legitimate complaints and issues you can't disagree with any of them they all have you know valid valid points it's complicated now as lauren alluded to there there is some clarification needed on a few things there are some questions that we have pertaining to crosshair so let's sort through what we know crosshair said he took out his inhibitor chip a long time ago. Now, there were some people on social media confused by this, and they assumed that he meant before execute order 66. But we know the chip was in his head when Tarkin and Rampart turned him. Yes. Uh, or I should say put him into the super Manchurian candidate machine that <sighs> took his control up to 11. Yes. So that leaves us to deduce that he removed it sometime afterward, possibly after his friends told him. He's being controlled. So that's what we know. Am I, is my line of thinking, does that compute with you guys? Is that how you guys interpret it as well? Yeah, I think, uh, I think he, they kind of amped up the uh, control of the chip to force him to fire on the other members of the Bad Batch. And then after that, at some point, we don't know when, he either got permission 
to remove it because he wanted to be more free thinking and prove his loyalty in that way. Or maybe he did prove his loyalty before, but it seems like he has shown that he could be more of an asset without the chip mm-hmm. um, and be more like the regular human non-clone soldiers that yeah. are in his little crew. So well, especially I don't since, know when, but yeah. Especially since Crosshair, it's obvious from his talk in dialogue with Hunter that he, he, lo- he has a superiority complex in regards to looking at like the Rex and the, the constricted soldiers they're the, to him. They're like a lower class. They're not as good as he is. So when you throw that on there and then what I think is after the initial fight, because I thought about this when he gets mortally injured if you notice since then... Mortally injured? That means he died. Or close to mortally <laughs> injured. How's that? Did he die? <laughs> or mortally wounded. There you go. He's just a ghost now. <laughs> but when, when that moment happens, I think that's when he had the opportunity to get the chip removed. That's why you saw Hunter turn his, turn his head. And, yeah. And we always thought the scar was from the accident. <laughs> Which I believe it was, but... I, I am hoping we get some clarification. Honestly, I don't think we need it, but there are people who are confused. It seems like the three of us understood it, how it was intended that it hap- that the chip removal happened post execute, execute order six, six and post bad batch leaving crosshair behind. Um, but I'm feel I'm thinking the mainstream audience may need some clarification. They need things a little you know, stated a little more clearly. So we'll see what happens. Oh yeah. Now, we also learned that Omega was alive while the Bad Batch was being created. So I felt like that was an interesting aspect because it it makes her connection to them run even deeper. Yes. The fact that she witnessed their creation, essentially, which that's got to have some meaning. I'm hoping in the final episode we do get some reveals when it comes to Omega, yes, we need to tackle the crosshair stuff. There are also things we need to do possibly with the clones that were taken off planet or yeah, off planet. But I think for the purposes of a solid cliffhanger, we do need to have a big reveal. And that reveal has to come from Omega because they have led us by the nose pretty much all season that she's something important they made it a point to um, to parallel her with Boba Fett, the Alpha, and the Omega. So hopefully that comes through, especially if they hope that that meaning has some type of, or I should say that um, inclusion of Alpha and Omega has some meaning possibly to yes. the book of Boba Fett that's coming out before the second season of The Bad Batch. So we- we'll see. It- if you could clarify this for me, Mike, because yeah. if she is alluding that she witnessed their creation, right, right, mm-hmm. that means that Omega is older than we thought. Because well, yes, yeah. okay. So the let me think. Yeah, well, yeah, she. Well, how old is she? Like maybe ten, eleven? Did they say? And this is maybe a year post Revenge of the Sith, Revenge maybe less. Sith. And the time between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith was what? Maybe five years of war? Five if, years of war. Is, am I right on that? I don't I don't remember. But regardless, 
if she was made in a similar fashion as say Boba Fett, mm-hmm. which was a clone that was to age normally, then it would make sense. That's what I was actually trying to figure out is because so Omega has been around because Ever since the beginning, I've always been uh, seeing a lot of people say that, oh, she's a really young clone. Well, yeah, she's young in age, in but I age. I don't think she does. Ex- she has accelerated growth. Exactly. Beca- because by second yeah. season, she can, you know, she'll be like a teenager. That'd yeah. That'd be weird. And I think, no, I think that's I think what... that moment was was like a telling point that she definitely does not have accelerated growth. Yes. Yeah, I feel like I agree, Lauren. I feel like that was the point. Yeah. All yeah. right. That's the clarification that I was wondering because I saw a lot of people really confused because they're like, going, wait a minute. Omega has always been seen as the child. I think, David, we can admit on this show that a lot of people are just stupid. Let's just be honest <laughs> and clear with that. Letting a little in a nicer your way. side out. <laughs> if, if you're listening to this show, you are not one of those people. There you go. Yeah. We I love think you. In, a, in a nicer way of phrasing, um, <laughs> I think a lot of people forget that the clones that are, you know, the actual troopers have accelerated growth. Yes. And uh, yeah. <laughs> that was kind of funny because you just let a little, I thought you turned it to crosshair there for a second. <laughs> what, am I going to kill people? <laughs> no, because you am were like, I... going, if everyone, <laughs> everyone is lesser than us, oh, David. Come on, dude, is, I'm an elitist. You don't know this yet about me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Ramport uh, destroyed the Camino cloning facility. Dude. Closing out a major chapter in Star Wars, but the clones had been removed beforehand, before the destruction. So we still have that aspect to deal with, which I feel like they they took them out of the story and we're going to deal with them probably next season. I can't imagine us dealing with that as well in 30 minutes. There's too much. There's the <laughs> crosshair, a hunter thing. We have the Omega issue. We have... Some type of wrap up we're going to need with Rampart. We're going to have to have something set up there leading into the second season. So that leaves us to assume that the, the the bigger picture pertaining to the clones themselves and where they end up isn't going to be explored until or dealt with until the following season. Most so. likely, most likely. But I mean, like that. I hope. I hope. W- by meaning a uh, wrapping up of the rampart situation, I was hoping they just all died. Just get it done with. <laughs> just make make done it with. sad and depressing, and and then we're done. But did we not say in the last episode, rampart is just like literally point intended ramping up, yeah. to being oh. like a really nasty villain, yeah. Because like he's the, heartless in the very end when he walks in onto the deck and he just, that that perfect villain lighting hits him and he basically tells them open fire, yeah. That is cold-blooded. Well, there's no one there also. I mean, it was an abandoned place. So did, did he do anything really that – I think he's just all show. It's like, come on, dude. That's a small dick mentality. You <laughs> did nothing. You just, you, just, you just stomped around and broke somebody's that's toys. Why I, that's why I thought, you know, they should have had some of the clones still on the, on the base. Like the children. Get like, rid of the children. <laughs> they need to increase his villainy. The, the next episode, we'll have Darth Vader. Like, you should have killed the kids. I mean, that's what <laughs> I would have done. Several children need to die or else we're not going to promote you. <laughs> yeah, we need some more, uh, you know, uh, more cowbell. We need more youngling deaths. So <laughs> youngling yeah. death. if you really want to climb that imperial corporate ladder, Rampart, you, you got to kill the kids. And you got to showy. You got to make it showy. So yeah. we all see it. <laughs> You got to let them ask you a question first and make them think you're there to help them and then kill them. That's what I did. All right. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. We need to get into final thoughts. 
Lauren, why don't you start us off? Oh boy. Um man, this episode was a was a rough one in in the best way. Um I have not felt this strongly for Crosshair until this episode. I mean, I I felt for him a bit, but um they really they really hit home with with this episode with him. Um What am I going to put this? I guess I'm going to give this one a 97. I thought this episode was really, really good. It was really um, concise about what it was trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. And it really gave us an insight into a lot of different dynamics here. So, I mean, we we see Camino completely destroyed. It's an end of an era in a really emotional kind of way for fans to watch. Like, that's that's a big thing. This has been something that's been around for so many bits of Star Wars media and and it's destroyed now. Um, and just like, I, I don't even know where they're going to go from here for the final episode. This could have been a final episode, yeah. but boy, am I excited. Okay. Uh, David. Uh, for part one, this is one of the best episodes of the season. I mean, I'm going to give this one a 95 flat out. Um, I love the little, what I call Star Wars geek moments that we got. I mean, seeing Tarkin and then hearing Tarkin basically just tell Rampart, you may fire when ready. And I'm like, oh, thank you. He has to say his catchphrase. (laughs) And then you have also this emotional roller coaster ride with Hunter and Crosshair. Because at one point you think, oh, Crosshair's back. He's going to save the guys, especially when he brutally just like shoots one shot and just ricochets all the laser bolt yeah. between things to kill hit the squad that he was working with. He's a badass. And uh-huh. you're like, going, oh, that's a badass moment. And then yeah. it just turns. I don't like men, but if I were into men, he would definitely be my type for sure. <laughs> Crosshair is cool. And then like it turns because like th- for the Bad Batch, they think Crosshair is back, but like all of a sudden, He's like saying, no, you you guys, I'm giving you an opportunity. Join me because I'm on the winning side right now. And he's, he literally embraced it. It's the thing that was he's so embracing hard, a purpose, it, embracing a purpose yeah. without the chip. And that's what made it so powerful in the very end. Because like when Hunter and the last moment that he has with Crosshair and Crosshair tells him basically he is who he is. This is who he is. And there's no changing that. And then suddenly you come to the realization that Crosshair will never, ever, quote unquote, be a good guy. He's not a good guy. He basically is who he is. This is the, the choice that he, he made is based on what he feels, which is everyone's below him. And he wants his brothers to join him. In a weird sort of way, Mike, you know, outside of Star Wars, this is very similar to like the discussions we've had about the recent Superman series with Don't cross streams, Dave. I'm not gonna cross streams, but it's a, but it's very apropos because it makes you understand the villain. You don't yeah. see the villain as a complete bad guy. You, no. you you have this understanding now. In fact, I wouldn't even consider him a bad guy at this point, but yeah, I would consider I would consider some of his decisions questionable. But when in war, what soldier hasn't possibly made 
questionable decision. Questionable decision. Yeah. I mean, Vietnam is a perfect example. Oh yeah. So. All right. So I'm giving this episode, I'm going to one up you guys. It's a 98% for me. This episode <laughs> had it all. Literally had it all. From start to finish, it was it was cinematic as hell. It was well written. It was nuanced in a way that I didn't think we would get. They're doing things in Star Wars that I never figured Star Wars would do. Uh, Star Wars does have the potential to be intellectual. Unfortunately, we don't always go that route. And I understand it's not that type of IP. It's 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 a different type of thing. However, this show is is skirting that line between you know l- lowbrow just entertainment and low. I'm not not lowbrow a low low art. Uh, and then moving into those areas of intellectual thought, I don't think I've witnessed a Star Wars story quite like this. And yes, it has a lot of a lot to go before it becomes maybe my favorite Star Wars thing. We're ve- we're barely getting started, but it's definitely on the path to be one of my favorite, one of my favorites. So ninety eight percent. That does bring us to the end. Remember, find us on iTunes. Give us five-star ratings. Give us a review. We need them. Search for us from the back to tank. And thank you, David and Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. May the force be with us. Ah, yes. (laughs) 